I have to say that that's one of my favorite weekly segments that we used to always do here at the church, and I see you guys still do, speaking of life. And frankly, today we are going to be speaking of life. And uh, the title of the sermon that I'm going to do today is Seek First the Kingdom of God. And with that being said, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that we can be here today in your presence, that we have the opportunity to worship you, to glorify your name, to give you all praise, glory, and honor, Lord. That's what we're here for today. For you are our God, we are your people, and you love us with your everlasting love. For you have given us every breath that we take. And Father, you look after us. You said, you said in the scriptures that we are very important to you, so important that you went to the cross, gave your life for us that we could have eternal life. And Father, we worship you. We glorify you for that. And Father, as we move forward with the service today, we just ask that you be with each one of us, that you equip our souls, that you teach us, and that you make us more like you, Lord. And for anyone here today that may not know you, that they would come to a saving knowledge of who you are today, for you love the sinner. And we ask you this in the name of our gracious and holy Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Again, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here today. And... Uh, as I was preparing for this message today, um, and I was going through some of the scripture verses that I have memorized, and I was kind of just pondering some of them and pondering their meaning, and there was this one that I came to that it really caused me to go back and think about the text surrounding this particular verse because I really wanted to really truly understand the meaning that's behind this text because it is far greater than I ever really understood in the past. And, and there's a couple of times that I've grown and learned more about this particular verse as life has went on and as I've grown to know the Lord more. And this weekend, I just feel like he's revealed even more of its meaning to me. Isn't it awesome when we get into his word isn't it awesome how when we think we really have an understanding and he gives us more understanding? Isn't that great? It's amazing that he does that. And the specific verse that he made clearer in my mind's eye is Matthew 6.33. So if we could take a moment and turn our attention to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now as I was memorizing this scripture when I was a very, very young Christian, I looked at this scripture and said, oh, this is talking about salvation. All I was doing was memorizing the scripture verse that was given to me at the time. I really wasn't going to the Bible, opening up the Bible and looking at the context of what the Bible was actually saying. But one day when I did do that, I got understanding that God was not talking specifically about salvation here. He was really telling us, don't worry, trust me. That's what God was telling us in that verse. Because if you go back and you look at the context from verse 25 through the rest of that section, I think it goes to verse 34, you'll see that God is telling us to trust him, don't worry. And like I said, for many years, I thought this verse was somehow tied to getting saved. 
if I didn't already have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And one day I did realize that it had more to do with not being worried. It had a lot to do with not being worried and to trust God for everything. But then, after even a closer examination of the text, even this weekend, I see a deeper meaning. And that deeper meaning, it's, it's amazing when we understand that God loves us so much that he sent his son to the cross and his son gave us life and he gave us life eternal. See, this verse, this verse leads up to the conclusion of the message that teaches us to do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow, because every day has enough trouble of its own. But really, this passage from Matthew 6.25 to 34 is all about placing our complete trust in God. It's beyond just not worrying. It goes into placing our entire trust in Him, in Him alone. God knows that by worrying, we can't even add a single second to our life. Not one single second by worrying can we add to our life. And that's why Jesus wants us to focus on him and to seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. And in doing this, he will clothe us and he will feed us and he will give us drink. And see, God, he's not even talking about giving us food and drink and clothing right here and now, which he does. There's not one of us in this room that doesn't eat, that doesn't drink, and isn't clothed. God has taken care of us physically all the way to this point. But see, that's not even what God is talking about here. He's not talking about feeding us physically. He's not talking about this. He's talking about our spirit. He's talking about our soul. That when we place Him first and we seek Him first, when we do this, then He will give us our spiritual need. He will feed us spiritually. He will give us spiritual drink. And He will clothe us spiritually. And we all know that Jesus fed thousands on more than one occasion when He walked this earth, didn't He? And he fed each one of those people, thousands. He fed them with a few fish and a few pieces of bread. And if God can do that, if God can create that miracle, to where he can feed us physically with a few fish and a few pieces of bread, imagine how he can take care of us for eternity. Imagine how much he cares for our soul when he cares that much to take care of us in a physical manner. Think about that. The power of this message that God wants us so much to come to him in a spiritual sense and not just seek him for what we can get physically. See, God, though he wants our physical needs taken care of, 
is far more concerned about our spirit, far more concerned that we spend eternity with him in heaven instead of eternity separated from him in hell. Because frankly, that's one of the two places that we spend eternity. And it all comes with a relationship with Jesus Christ and seeking first the kingdom of God. See, that's why Christ came to this earth. He didn't come to this earth to take care of us physically. He didn't come to this earth to give us health. He didn't come to this earth to give us wealth. He came to this earth to give us life and to give it to us so abundantly that we have it for eternity. An eternity of peace, an eternity of bliss with God. See, that's why Christ came to this earth, so he could clothe us and feed us in righteousness that can only come from placing our trust in him and him alone. Let's take a moment now and turn our attention to John chapter 4, and this is where we'll spend most of our time today, is in this text of John chapter 4. And over the past few months, I have been incredibly interested in and focused on the Apostle Paul and his trip to Damascus. So much so that I have brought it up on more than one occasion in my recent sermons. Fascinating, fascinating. The Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus not to serve God. He was on the road to Damascus to destroy the church. He was on the road to Damascus to persecute the church. He was on the road to Damascus to put an end to Christianity. That was his goal. And on the road, God had a completely different idea, didn't he? What happened? What happened on the road to Damascus? Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ, didn't he? He had an encounter with our Savior that changed his life for all eternity. It caused him to cross over from eternal death into eternal life with God. He was transformed from death to life in a moment. And the thing that excites me the most about this is the Apostle Paul was not seeking to be saved. The Apostle Paul wasn't looking for salvation. He wasn't trying to find God. He was going to persecute the church. And while he was still a sinner, while he was reviling God, Jesus saved him. In a moment, in a moment, his life was changed that fast. Here's the important key to get from this whole thing. The Apostle Paul's salvation was all Christ, was all God, and none the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul didn't say a prayer asking God to come into his heart. The Apostle Paul wasn't seeking God. He wasn't asking God to come into his heart. God came to him and God saved him. See, the Apostle Paul was saved by God and God alone and nothing that Paul did. He, was rev he, he reveled in the death of a Christian. He re you remember Stephen? He reveled in the death of Stephen. He was there putting his approval on Stephen's death. But Jesus had a different idea. And it was to save Paul, 
to accomplish the work that Paul did, which is, he wrote most of the New Testament. So brothers and sisters, it was not Paul. So do you have anything to say about your salvation? Was it your choice that you were saved or was it all God? Brothers and sisters, it is all God who saves us and none us. We literally will have nothing to boast in heaven except Jesus Christ. There will be no boast, not even a prayer that said, Lord, come into my heart. There will be no boast in heaven except Jesus Christ. And thank you, God, for all that you've done for me. Thank you for the salvation that you have given to me. I was a wretched sinner deserving of eternal separation from you. And you found it. I was, I was one that you wanted to call into the kingdom of God and you called me. It's all going to be God. And that's amazing. We're going to be glorifying God for His good work in our life. See, you may not be seeking salvation if you do not know Christ today. But Christ is seeking you right now as we speak. Christ is seeking you. Are you going to hear Him? Is the real question. See, the Apostle Paul, again, he was going to persecute the church. And his mission was changed to being a disciple maker, one who leads people to Christ. Jesus saved a man who was not seeking to be saved. Which brings me to my main text today. And I'd like us to take a look at John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. We're going to look at another person today, the woman at the well, who was not seeking salvation. And let's look what happens here. John chapter one, or 4, beginning with verse 1, says this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came down to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Now near the plot of the ground of Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, brothers and sisters, from everything that I have learned in scripture and everything that I've learned about this time, people went to draw water and the women went to draw water in the morning when it was cool. There are many who say that she was there for other purposes other than drawing water. She was using drawing water as the excuse to get there. The scripture doesn't say that, but regardless, she was going there and she was not seeking to meet somebody to learn about salvation. In verse 8, his disciples had gone into town to buy some food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, Are you a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman? How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as also did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Brothers and sisters, there's two main uh, subject matters that we're going to talk about here today and, as, and we have already started to talk about is first, our salvation. And every message that a pastor every preach, ever preaches from the pulpit, salvation should come up. Eternal life should come up. You being a sinner should come up. Falling short of the glory of God should come up. But something else today I would really like us to grasp is that everyone who is a believer is a disciple maker. Everyone who is a believer, God has called you for good works. And if you haven't done it in your life to this point, I challenge you to memorize Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. If you could put that on the screen real quick. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Because God didn't just save us so we can just go living out our daily lives just doing whatever we want to do. God has a purpose. God has a purpose for each one of us when we are saved. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. We are created in him for good works. And you know what, brothers and sisters, we don't even have to figure out what the works are because God already prepared them for us in advance. He already knows what he has prepared for us to do. But we are not called to be couch potatoes. We are called to serve Christ. And as a believer, Christ lives in you. Is Christ a lollygagger? Did Christ accomplish nothing while he walked this earth? And if when we become believers, we have Christ living in us, how can we as believers do nothing? How is that possible? How is it possible that we do nothing? It's not, because God said, through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are all disciple makers, every one of us. God has called us to that. And see, brothers and sisters, as we're going through this, you'll see a picture of how we can be disciple makers. And we can use this scripture text right here to be disciple makers. Because one of the first things we need to understand as a disciple maker, the people that we're having conversations with, they have to understand that they are sinners. And that they are lost. And they're going to hell. It's eternal separation from God. We have to be willing to share that with people. And as we're going to see, Jesus exposed this woman's sin. And he wasn't bashful about it. 
Are we bashful about letting people know that they are sinners when we are sharing the gospel? Because if they, someone has to understand there's a reason for them to accept the gospel before they can accept it. They have to know that they're a sinner, lost without God. That there is none on this earth who is righteous, deserving of heaven. We all deserve hell. Every Christian in here who is a genuine believer deserves hell without Christ living in you and doing the work that he did to save you. So once they understand that, the next step for them is to be willing to repent, to turn away from their sin, to walk the other direction from their sin. And yes, they will not live perfect lives. We do not live perfect lives, but we can confess our sins and God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins See, brothers and sisters, an unbeliever lives by the law and will be judged by the law. But a believer is judged by grace and mercy and forgiveness. And that's what we have to expose to the unbeliever is that they need Christ. He is the way and the truth and the life, and there is no way into the kingdom of heaven except through him and him alone. So after they acknowledge their sin and they repent, then they can have eternal life. So the first part of the message today is the sin has to be exposed, which is what we just went over. Jesus met this woman at her point of need Let's look in verse 15 through 19 and see how that plays out. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, Here it is, he's exposing her sin. And Jesus said to her, You have said well, you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Jesus exposed her sin, and now she has a choice. She can argue with him or acknowledge and be willing to turn aside from her sin. And the woman said to her, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, knowing See, she understood right then and there that Jesus had something and she needed it. So know this, knowing that you are a sinner is a prerequisite to becoming a believer. To have salvation, you have to understand that you are a sinner. Because there is not one person who believes that they are righteous and that they have no sin If you believe you are righteous and you believe that you do not have any sin, you are disqualified from salvation. You can't have salvation. If you think you are righteous, there is no salvation for you. The scriptures teach us this. Jesus said, I came to heal the sick. For those who do not need a physician, I do not need to go to them. That's why I go to sinners. Remember that conversation that Jesus had? 
He said, I go to the sinner because the sinner is the one who is going to understand that they need a savior. So those are the people that I have come to. So until you understand and believe that you are a sinner, you cannot have salvation. Which brings us to the second point that hope is offered after she acknowledges that she's a sinner. Hope is offered. Hope of a way out is offered. Once we know we need a Savior, now we are in a position to truly hear the gospel message. So brothers and sisters, that's why our conversations with our friends and our family may be a conversation that will last days, weeks, months, years. Because the first thing they have to do is come to an understanding that they're a sinner. Once they do that, then there's hope that they could have salvation. Let's continue on with verse 20 of John chapter 4. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said and declared, I, the one you are speaking to, I am he. I am your Messiah. Could you imagine that moment in that woman's life? And brothers and sisters, as you are sharing the Messiah with your friends and family, loved ones and acquaintances, and you share them the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and they can have him, not all will accept it, not all will believe but some will. But you have Christ in you. How can you be silent? You have Christ in you. And it is in Him that we live and move and have our being. So if He is the one who lives in us and He is the one that lives in us, how can we not speak the truth of the gospel? How can we not tell someone who is a homosexual the dangers of being a homosexual? How can we tell the drunk the dangers of being a drunk? How can we not tell them? How can we not tell someone who is a liar that if they continue in their lie, or a false teacher, that if they continue in their false teaching, or if you have a brother and sister who is reading a book by Joel Osteen, or if they're reading a book by Benny Hinn, or if they're reading a book by jo Joyce Meyer, how can you not call that out and tell them that you are walking dangerous ground? Because these people who are wrote those books are not believers. They are sinners, and they are heading towards hell, and they're trying to take as many people with them as they can. Expose them. 
expose the lie. Expose those who are teaching a false gospel, a gospel that is a prosperity gospel. Because that's one of the most prevalent gospels in this country today is, this, is, the, is the health and wealth gospel. That if you believe, then have faith and confidence in God, he'll give you everything and anything you want. If you are sick, the reason is you're sick is you do not have enough faith. That is not true. The scriptures teach, Jesus taught, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And not every sick Christian is healed. The grave is full of Christians who are sick. And brothers and sisters, it is appointed man wants to die and the judgment. So expose the false teachers. Expose the lie. Expose the sin so someone can come to life because the gift of life is accepted by this woman. That's the third point, is once they understand that, they can accept the gift of life. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, and this is on verse 29, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. See, she, at this moment, believed. And she accepted. And her life changed forever. She crossed over from death to life. She is now a disciple maker. She is a disciple of Christ. She believed and looked at what she did. And she realized that she was a sinner. And she went and she told everyone who would listen about her salvation. She told everyone who would listen. She went into her town and told everyone. See, brothers and sisters, that's another mark of a believer. Another mark of a believer is that we do the work of God. We trust and we depend on Him alone. And because we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, we know as soon as we believe He's going to put us to work. Because He is in us. We are sealed with His Spirit, guaranteeing our inheritance into the kingdom of God. He has saved you for a purpose. And there are people in your life who need to hear the message of Christ, the message of the cross. Are you going to trust God and step out and trust Him as you tell your friends and family about God? And yes, you will be persecuted, you will be laughed at, and you will be mocked. But brothers and sisters, what if in your whole lifetime of sharing your love for God with somebody that only one person came to Christ in your whole life because you told them the truth and didn't hold back and didn't, was, you weren't afraid to tell them about their sin and expose their sin. And they go to heaven and they're with you. And what a day when Jesus tells you, well done, my good and faithful servant. And your friend that's sitting next to you, he looks to them and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because of the work you did, because you trusted God and Christ worked through you and changed that life. Amazing.
amazing. A wretch like me has the privilege of telling a wretch like you about Jesus. A sinner like me gets to tell another sinner like you about how he did, what he did for me and the wonderful things that he's done for me. And he wants to do the same thing for you. So eternal life accepted. In Colossians, as we close, one twenty-seven and 28 says this, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And what is this mystery? But Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, brothers and sisters, you have the hope of glory living in you. And it is a mystery that Christ lives in us. It's a mystery. And we will not understand that mystery, this side of heaven. But because of that mystery and Him living in us, we have the power of God living in us to accomplish the work of God. And in verse 28 of Colossians 1, verse 28, and here it is. Because we have been called to do His work, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus, remember. And because of this, He is the one that we proclaim. Jesus is the one we proclaim. And brothers and sisters, we are called to admonish and to correct. We are taught to teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And why do we do this? So that we can present everyone fully mature in Christ. So brothers and sisters, I encourage you tonight to read the rest of this chapter and really examine the scripture about God's love for people and how he wants us to work to accomplish his work in this world. But he works in us that people might be saved. And if you're one who doesn't know Christ today, he has called you. Are you listening? Are your ears open? Do you want to trust him and believe? Because he is the way and the truth and the life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today that you have given us this opportunity to know you, that you have given us this opportunity to grow closer to you, that we have the opportunity as believers to be fully equipped and more equipped to do your good work today, Lord. And Father, that we'll have confidence to go out and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ to anyone who will hear us. And Father, we love you with all that we have in us, Lord. And we know the love that we have for you is because you have first loved us. And Father, we thank you for all that you do in us. And Father, we ask that you be with each one of us today, that you bring us comfort, that you bring us peace and joy in knowing that our salvation is found in you. And we can have confidence to know that we will one day be in your presence with our friends, with our families for all eternity. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.